0: Welcome to the One God Report podcast. Bill Schlegel here. The title of this podcast is Is the Trinity in the Bible? And if so, where? I'd like to dedicate this podcast to Daniel in Ohio. Daniel's encouragement inspired me to buy books and reading the books have inspired my thoughts that I'll be sharing on this podcast and probably in several other podcasts. Specifically, I'm thinking of two books here. One of them is called The Forgotten Trinity by James White, and the other one is called The Triune God by Fred Sanders. And as a former Trinitarian, I sort of wish that maybe I had read a book or two like this before and and wonder what my thoughts would have been when I read it. Because now when I read it, I say, these are really terrible arguments. And I wanted to just respond to a few of the things in these books. There are a number of other possible titles I thought of for this episode. They could include, If the Bible is Right, God is Not a Trinity. Or Evangelical Christian scholars, experts on the Trinity, explain that God is never described as a Trinity in the Bible. Or how about this one? Quote, the Trinity, some assembly required. Or here's another one, quoting one of the experts, We cannot speak of the doctrine of the Trinity as revealed in the New Testament. Unquote. And if somebody thinks that these two authors are not mainstream, just to note who they are and the glowing recommendations that others give to them. James White, he has a D-Min from Columbia Theological Seminary, and he's the director of Alpha and Omega Ministries, and Evangelical Reform Christian Apologetics organization. And listen to some of the recommendations that he gets on the back cover of his book here. One's from Norman Geisler. Now, I remember this name when I was in Bible college, because he wrote a book called Systematic Theology, and I was kind of a big-name apologist. Norman Geisler said of this book, No doctrine is more fundamental to the faith than the Trinity, and there is no more brief, clear, biblical, and practical explanation of the Trinity than in these pages. Unquote. Whoa! As an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian, I would hope that there is a better explanation of the Trinity in the Bible than in James White's book. Then there is J.I. Packer's endorsement. And J.I. Packer, I remember him in college too, because everybody was reading his book Knowing God. He was a professor at Regent College, British guy. He writes of this book, Quote, White's clear argument demonstrates that the historic Christian doctrine of the Trinity is fully and inescapably biblical. The refutation of Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons is very helpful. Unquote. And then there's a third recommendation here on the back of the book from Dr. John MacArthur, senior pastor at Grace Community Church. He writes quote, The Trinity is a doctrine where error is especially deadly. James White superbly establishes the biblical basis of Trinitarianism examining its nuances and its place in church history. His lucid presentation will help layperson and pastor alike. Highly recommended, Okay, so those are some pretty big name endorsements for James White's book. And then here's Fred Sanders. Now, Fred Sanders, he's a Ph.D. from Graduate Theological Union, and he's a professor of theology at Biola University is an evangelical Christian university in Los Angeles area. And he has some glowing endorsements here in the back of his book, too, from evangelicals. Here's one from Susan McDonald, Western Theological Seminary. She writes, Beginning with doxology rooted in Scripture and centered on the missions of the Son and the Spirit, this book is a lucid, rich, lively, and timely reframing of Trinitarian theology with highly fruitful implications for dogmatics and exegesis. And another endorsement from Thomas McCall, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Here, a leading scholar of the doctrine of the Trinity offers helpful insights that will repay careful study. Even better, he leads us to a more profound doxology. So, there are some going recommendations and if these guys are misrepresenting the Trinity, uh, it's not my fault. Right, I'm just taking it right from their books. And they don't really always agree necessarily. The books have a little bit of a different approach. And I'll maybe mention that as we go along here or in a future podcast. But I think it's important to understand that, I mean, I've heard of both of these guys. I've listened to their some of their videos. And I'd encourage you to take a look at their videos. It was one of the things for me as a former Trinitarian when I started to question, wow, is the God of the Bible, really a trinity? And then after looking in the scriptures and saying, no, he's not, I went to some of these videos to listen to the experts try to explain the trinity was additional proof that, hey, God is not a trinity and the Trinity's not in the Bible. But the thing I wanted to focus on here today is one of my first impressions when reading both of these books. I come to this topic as a conservative I have a very conservative approach to the scriptures. I take the scriptures as the word of God and authoritative. And if something is not in the scriptures, then it should be rejected. It should be questioned. If we don't have a clear description in the Bible of a certain doctrine or some other kind of claim, okay, we all understand that there are some topics that are a little bit less certain. And we're going to have disagreements about them because we're all interpreting written text. But the idea of who God is, if he's three persons in one, and who the Messiah is, if he's a God-man and he has both a human nature and a divine nature, these are not secondary issues. These would be essential issues, as Trinitarians and people who believe in the deity of Christ insist. So these should be explained clearly and explicitly in the scriptures. So as a very conservative, biblically-minded person, look like I myself went to live in Israel for, eventually ended up staying there for 34 years because I love the Bible, I love the scriptures, the narrative described moved me emotionally, mentally, all these things. I'm very concerned with what the scriptures say. And many of my friends My Trinitarian friends have that same sort of attitude. And if any of such people are listening to this podcast, you're my kind of people in a sense. And I I live in Tennessee now where there are Christian people that respect the Bible and they know the Bible has significance and it should affect their lives, how they live. And they have that same attitude that I have that, hey, if it's in the Bible, this is what I want to live. And I don't think many Trinitarians have really thought, wow, is the God of the Bible described as a Trinity in the Bible? Oh yeah, the pastor says so, and you know, you take the whole Bible, and somehow you put it together, and God's a Trinity. But I know, and I think they know deep down inside, that that is not the way our theology of who God is should be informed. So, if I was going to write a book about the Trinity in the Bible or the triune God, how the God of the Bible is a trinity, I think maybe after a very brief introduction, you would go directly to the scriptures that explicitly say that God is a trinity. For instance, let's take another topic. Does the Bible claim that Jesus died and was raised from the dead? Can I go to the scriptures and see that described in the Bible. This is an essential element of our faith. This is an important element of our faith. It's not a small issue. And yes, I can open the scriptures. This is what I would do. If I believed God was a trinity, if I believed that the God of the Bible was a trinity, I would open the Bible. I would open to the chapters that described it, just like we could do with showing how the Bible describes that Jesus Was put to death, that he was dead, and that he was raised from the dead. I could open up to Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, where Jesus prophesied that he would be put to death. It's written, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, but he will be raised on the third day. Then I could turn to Matthew 28, verse 6, where the angelic announcement on the morning of his resurrection. They claim he is not here for he has been raised just as he said. And I could keep going right through the scriptures. And these are just examples. There's many, many others. After his resurrection, Jesus was alive and he speaks to Mary Magdalene. He says, tell my brothers that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And I could turn to the testimony of the apostles in the book of Acts, like Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. Right? It's over and over again. It describes Jesus Christ was dead. God raised him up. Peter again in Acts chapter 10, verse 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen. It's very clear, very explicit. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great summation of the message. He says to the Corinthians, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ the Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He appeared to Cephas. It's very clearly stated. This is why I believe it in the Scriptures. Revelation 1:18. Jesus himself says, I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. So it's very clear. It's explicit. That's how I would present an essential doctrine. I would go right to the Bible and show here are the scriptures. This is what is explicitly taught over and over again. Tens of verses. The Bible claims that Jesus Christ was put to death, that he was dead, and that God raised him from the dead. It's just very explicit. So, if I'm going to write a book about the triune God, that's what I would do. I would go into the scriptures, open it up, and see, okay, here it is. It's described right here, over and over again, that God is three persons in one. Now, do either of these books do that? Does James White, The Forgotten Trinity, do that? No. Note the title of the book, Why is the Trinity Forgotten? He writes this book because he thinks evangelical Christians have not remembered the Trinity enough. Could it be that the Trinity has been forgotten because it's not described in the Bible? But again, does he open up the Scripture and show us right away that God is three persons in one? No. Instead, after his introductory chapter, his second chapter is to define what the Trinity is. So, he doesn't go to the scriptures. He doesn't show us where the Bible says that God is three persons in one co equal, co eternal persons. Instead, he gives us a definition. He starts out with his own definition. He says, Here's what the Trinity is. He doesn't want anybody to be mistaken about what it is. He says, Within the one being that is God, there exists eternally three co equal and co eternal persons namely, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says he's chosen his language very carefully. He's defined what the Trinity is. And then what's he going to do with the rest of the book? He's going to go and look for passages that support his theory. But do you see how he starts? He starts with his theory. He starts with already believing that God is a Trinity. And then he's going to go find a passage here and there that he thinks supports the idea of the Trinity. Now, interestingly enough, ironically enough, the first major biblical passage that James White presents is a passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 44. And here's what these passages say. Yahweh, God of Israel, is speaking. And he says, Before me there was no God formed. There will be none after me. God is saying, Israel, I alone am God. There are no true gods besides me. There were none before me, for I am eternal. And there will be none after me, for I do not age and will not pass away. There is no room for other gods, for I alone am God, the creator. And then he quotes more specifically the Isaiah 44, 6 through 8 passage, where Yahweh says these things. I, who is like me, I established. I did this. There's none like me. Now, can you see the irony in the book that wants to start out by saying that God is three co-equal persons? He quotes a passage where God calls himself I and me. God willing, I'll talk a little bit more about the Trinitarian use of pronouns. But this is inexcusable. I am a conservative, Bible-believing Christian. I want to see where the three persons of God are in the Bible. And James White starts out his book. The first major passage that he quotes is a declaration of God saying, I, not we, So, to me, that was very disappointing. I wanted to come to the scripture. This book, according to the recommendations, is a very lucid explanation to the point, in a biblical based description, giving evidences that God is a trinity. Yet the initial chapters are simply a presupposition of what we're going to go look for. And the same holds true for Fred Sanders' book, The Triune God. Again, he starts out not with going to the scriptures where God is described as a trinity in the Bible, but he starts out with the Gloria Patri, which means glory to the Father. It's a praise doxology kind of song. It does continue. It says, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I'll, I'll just say briefly, too, about these books is that they are confused between a triad— maybe you could call it, and a trinity. They make the mistake constantly of saying that God, the Father, has sent the Son, the Son of God, and he has sent the Spirit. And that somehow makes a three-person in one being God. But see, I believe in God, the Father, and I believe in the Son of God, the Messiah Jesus, and I believe in the Spirit of God, but I don't believe that that makes a trinity. But that doesn't mean they're one being. I find the, the authors of these books constantly make that kind of assumption, or really it's just it's a mistake to think that because God sends the Son of God, that somehow they're the same being. It's really a strange assumption. And again, it comes back to having a presupposition and not being able to see that you're making that mistake. Again, ironically enough, one of the first verses that Fred Sanders partially quotes is from Ephesians chapter 1, which is evidence that God is not a trinity, where Paul describes that God is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, in one of the first verses that is mentioned in this book, Jesus Christ is distinguished from God. He's not God. Then in chapter 2, we still don't get into any scriptures that describe the Trinity. Instead, Fred Sanders makes reference to John of Damascus, and I looked him up. He's a desert monk. He lived somewhere around 675 to 750 AD. He wrote some kind of work called On the Orthodox Faith. So Fred Sanders quotes this John of Damascus, but again, as a conservative evangelical, And folks, my friends and my own family members, I would just encourage you to to think how we know what we know about God in the Bible and say, is God presented as a trinity in the scriptures? Why do these books, why do these authors not do like you and I would do? We'd say, okay, how do we know that Jesus was put to death and was raised from the dead and is now exalted to God's right hand in heaven. It's it's explicitly stated in the scriptures. So the Trinity is different. We can't open the Bible up. And find Moses or a prophet or Jesus or any apostle. Explaining or describing that God is a tri-personal being. And Fred Sanders is smart enough to recognize this and admit it. Here's why. Neither James White nor Fred Sanders do that. They don't open their books by simply saying, okay, I'd like to show us, I'd like to confirm for us where the Bible describes that God is a trinity, that he is three co-eternal persons in one being. The reason they don't do that, and Fred Sanders says it very clearly, quoting from page 39, he says, the triunity of God is not made known in that way It is not set forth in oracular idiom in the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord, I am Father and Son and Spirit. Nor is it made the subject of focused and deliberate teaching in the New Testament. Now concerning the persons of God, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. The basic vocabulary of Trinitarian theology is not found on the surface of the text, ideas of person, nature, relation, threeness, and the conceptual elements of Trinitarianism are not gathered in one place and related to each other by Scripture itself. By good and necessary consequence, the Trinity can be deduced. It is not verbally formulated for us, and some assembly is required." So there's no verbal announcement or declaration or revelation in the Bible about the Trinity. And that's why these books don't open up the scriptures to the chapter on the Trinity or chapters on the Trinity, verse after verse, that declares and describes this essential salvation issue of who God is. Fred Sanders recognizes that. He drives the point home. He quotes from a theologian whose name is B.B. Warfield, who wrote the biblical doctrine of the Trinity in the earlier part of the 1900s. Here's the same idea. He says, We cannot speak of the doctrine of the Trinity as revealed in the New Testament any more than we can speak of it as revealed in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written before its revelation, the New Testament after it. The revelation itself was made not in word, but in deed. Unquote. Now, maybe on another time I'll describe how and when they suggest the Trinity was revealed. But here he says that it was not made in word. The claim is that one has to interpret the deed, the acts of God, to know that God is a Trinity. But again, these quotes show that Trinitarian scholars know that the Bible never explicitly describes God as a trinity. So, for a person like me, who believes the scriptures of the revelation of who the one true God is and how he's worked through mankind and with mankind and his plans for mankind and the relationship that we can have with him, As someone who believes these truths are in the scriptures, I must be taken aback. Like I say, I wish I would have read something like this when I was still a Trinitarian and wondered how I would have reacted to it. Because they're admitting that the idea of God being a Trinity is not something that is explicitly described in the Bible, like the other doctrines and truths that we hold dear are. So, if you think these Trinitarian scholars are wrong, and that the Bible does describe explicitly that God is a Trinity, the challenge is for you to open the Bible and show the passages where God is described as three co-equal persons that make up one being. Sure, James White in his book does get into biblical passages that he claims Show that God is a trinity. For instance, in chapter 4, finally he's going to focus on John chapter 1. But does John 1 describe God as a trinity? Even after one reads John 1, is some, quote, assembly required to make the God of John 1 a trinity? And who has to do the assembling? Does God need man? to put him together, to take a verse from here and a verse from there? Is it not idols that were assembled by man? If we have to take this passage and that passage and combine them together and make this inference and that inference and see, oh, the whole Bible shows that God is a trinity, are we not making God ourselves? Does the trinity really need to be assembled from the Bible? Now, you might say, hey, Bill, you did the same thing. You took a verse from here and a verse from there and a verse there to show that Jesus died and that God raised him from the dead. But what is the obvious difference? The verses I looked at over and over again explicitly said the same thing. It's like we were looking at continual testimonies, one after another after another, that said Jesus Christ died, God raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ died, God raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ died. died, God raised him from the dead. Doctrine of the Trinity, taking a verse here and a verse there, is something entirely different. It's taking a verse that, mm, kind of strange by itself, and then attaching it to another one, kind of strange by itself. And here, here's this verse, strange by itself. But when we put it together, we assemble it, and we put them all together, voila, the Trinity comes out. That is something totally different. What we would need to find in the Bible is people over and over again, not just one verse at the end of the book of Matthew that could be understood in a different way, or one verse in Second Corinthians that could be understood in a different way. There should be multitude testimonies that the God of the Bible is three persons in one. Next chapter, God is three persons in one. The next verse, God is three persons in one. Next verse. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're one being. Next chapter. God is three persons in one. Next chapter. Paul saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. God is three persons in one. That's what we need to have in the scriptures if we think that the Bible is declaring that God is eternity. Open the Bible. Where's the passage where God says, I, we are three persons? It shouldn't be that difficult. And I'd just like to close this podcast by reading from page 14 of James White's book. Here's what he says. True worship must worship God as he exists. I'm going to stop right there for a second. James White insists that God is three persons. We must wonder why he calls three persons he James White says, True worship must worship God as He exists, not as we wish Him to be. The essence of idolatry is the making of images of God. An image is a shadow, a false representation. We may not bow before a statue or a figure, but if we make an image of God in our mind that is not in accord with God's revelation of Himself, then we are not worshiping in truth. Since sin and rebellion are always pushing us toward false gods and away from the true God, we must seek every day to conform our thinking and our worship to God's straight edge standard of truth, revealed so wonderfully in Scripture. We must be willing to love God as He is, and that includes every aspect of His being that might, due to our fallen state, be offensive to us, or beyond our limited capacities to fully comprehend. God is not to be edited to fit our ideas and preconceptions. Instead, we must always be asking Him to graciously open our clouded mind and reveal himself to us, so that we may love him truly, and worship him aright, unquote. Yishma'unavim v'yismachu, the humble will hear and rejoice. Thanks again, Daniel.